Hey guys, welcome to the Vision Podcast. We're glad you're here. And I'm super excited because I get to share with you a podcast, a sit-down interview that I had with my father-in-law, who is a general in the faith, uh, Dr. Robert L. Bartlett Jr., just an amazing man of God. And we were able to talk about the presence of God, how to cultivate the presence of God in a service, how to cultivate it in your personal life so that He is, uh, so that you're always walking in that presence wherever you go. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. God bless you. We love you. It is my distinct honor and privilege to get to introduce to you, those of you that may not know him, and many of you already do, but this is my father-in-law, Nicole's dad, Bob Bartlett, Bishop Bartlett, Dr. Robert L. Bartlett, and the acronyms keep going. And I just, there were some things that I just really had on my heart. Nicole and I were talking about you and about how um, some people call themselves an apostle, that word apostle. And, you know, an apostle is somebody who's effectively walked in every other ministry, you know, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, the prophet. And, And I, Nicole and I looked at each other and we were like, you know, in our lifetime, who would we consider to be a true apostle in our life? And we both agreed that you are that, man that we have seen operate and function in all of those different offices and so I just honor that in you and uh, your history over 60 years how many now how many years 65 years in ministry you've traveled to how many nations 107 107 you preached in all those nations and uh, many of them over and over I've been uh, when I when I, uh, good morning, <laughs> good morning. Uh, let me, before I get to Phil's answer, let me, Pastor Phil, let me just tell you how good God is. You've been listening to it for the last many, many minutes as we sang and worshiped and praised. But guys, God is so good. And I've known him for 65 years plus, uh, and, and I'm glad to have a lifetime, almost a lifetime friend, uh, Mr. Brother Ed Miller, Reverend Ed Miller. We met when I was about 15 or 16 years old, and his esteemed father was pastoring a church in Drumright, Oklahoma, and uh, I was there for a youth rally. I would have been saved for a brief amount of time, maybe five, six months and becoming a Pentecostal, uh, from nothing to becoming a, to becoming a Pentecostal was quite an experience because you learn a whole new language. For example, the night I received the Lord, March the 27, 1957, after I prayed at the altar for the first time in my 15 years, first 15 years, when I got up from the altar, I said, hot dog. I didn't know I was supposed to say hallelujah <laughs> because I hadn't learned all that holy language yet. But 65 years plus, as I look back over the future, and Phil was very kind with his introduction, 
But let me tell you what has driven me. Here's what has driven me, folks. And I tell it this way. A young pastor opened the service, much, what, much like what we have seen this morning. They had the song service. They received their tithing. But the congregation noticed there was an old white-haired man setting off to the side of the platform. And a uh, little curious, people were looking, well, do we have a guest? Who is this man? And then the young pastor introduced this old white-haired man, and he made his way up to the pulpit, and he said, I have a story to tell you. He said, when I was a young man, and I had a son about 16, 17 years old who loved to fish. And one day my son came to me and said, Dad, me and my buddy here, want you, will you take his fishing out of the lake? His dad said, sure. And the young man said to his dad, now my best friend is not a Christian, so I'm hoping maybe we can witness to him just a little bit while we're out there because I love Jesus really much. They go fishing and as the day wore on, a big storm came and the waves were smashing against the boat and it became very dangerous actually. And all of a sudden this big wave came and knocked the ship for a loop and both boys went into the deep. I mean, it was a bad storm and neither boy looked like they were gonna survive. And the, the man looked around in this little boat they were in and found only one life preserver. And he looked at this life preserver and he saw his son and his son's friend struggling and he had to make a decision. And the old man said, I knew that one of those boys was going to drown. And he said, I also knew that one boy who drowns, if he drowns, will go to heaven. The other boy, if he drowns, will go to hell. And that, old, that young man had to look at those two boys, one of his son and one of his son's friend, and he threw the lifesaver to the unsaved boy as he watched his own son sink beneath the waves. And then the old man sat down and the young preacher walked to the pulpit and he said, I'm the young man they threw the life preserver to. He said, I gave my life to God. And Pastor Phil, the thing that has driven me for these 65 years is the knowledge that I'm one of those men and women that's responsible to throw a lifesaver to the lost. And that lifesaver is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we must do, we must be absolutely possessed with a genuine understanding that there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And we are the only people in the earth, we spirit-filled, born-again, tongue-talking people. We're the, oh, we're the group with the lifesaver because a watered-down, compromised religious message is not going to save anybody from waters of drowning, from drowning in water. That's the thing, Pastor Phil, that drives me. Yeah. I asked, that was actually one of the questions I wanted to ask was because you've stayed on fire for all these years, for 65 years. 
And that's, that's impressed my life. I mean, I fell in love with your daughter, yeah, because... Yeah, no, you did, and you took her a long way from me. Yeah. <laughs> All the way to Arkansas. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, but let me, let me say this. Let me tell you this. I could not have found a finer son-in-law in my life than Phil Johnson. I want you to know that. And you guys, if you don't know it, and I'm not saying this because they're my family, but I've told people around the world about Phil and Nicole Johnson and Zachary and Rebecca. And I've watched how Phil and Nicole have raised their children. These kids have, have uh, when I come here, I always want to buy Zachary a new pair of blue jeans. And now this lady that he's getting ready to marry, dear God, I'm going to spend a lot of money on clothes. <laughs> But these children have never been, these children have never been out in the world, and they have been raised to love God and to love His Word, and I'm, I feel honored to be their grandparent. The thing that has kept me on fire, back in the day when this man and I became friends, we, we were raised among people that didn't know anything else. All we knew was Holy Ghost. We didn't know anything else. So I didn't know you weren't supposed to be on fire. Come on. I was saved out of an unsaved home. I thought I grew up in a home where I thought God's last name was Dan. We had no Bible reading, no prayer. I'd never talked to God until I was 15 years old because I didn't know how to pray. And then I saw some young people in, in school of course, I was 15, growing hair on my legs, and I was attracted to these girls. It happens when you're about 15. You know, when you're 12, you join the Boy Scouts. When you're 15, you try to join the Girl Scouts. But these young people so impressed me with their appearance, with their lifestyle, with their modesty. I tried to date one of those girls. I said, can I take you to the movies? She said, we don't go to movies. Can I take you to a dance? We don't go to dances. I said, how can I date you? She said, take me to church. That wasn't on my exciting list of things to do. <laughs> and I'd never been in a Pentecostal church. I didn't know you were supposed to jump up and down and clap your hands. I just thought it was Hail Mary full of grace. But when I went to church with them, and I saw the sincerity, and I didn't know the way they worshiped, was the wrong way to do it because I had never been to any other kind of a church. They started singing. In fact, you folks that are kind of new to this, we sang, I'll fly away. He set me free. Keep on the fire line. There's power in the blood, and I'm in the glory land way. If you know those five songs, you can join any Pentecostal church in the world. <laughs> That's true. But there's something that was impressed in me, Pastor Phil, in, in the first few weeks of my Christian experience. This man's uncle was a missionary for about 300 years to Mexico. His name was Edgar Stone. And I'd only been saved about a month or two, and Brother Stone came through our little church in Arkansas City, Kansas, where I was born and raised, and he talked about missions. And I gave my first offering in a missionary offering, I think it was a dollar and 25 cents. That was 65 years ago. Shortly after my conversion, 
I read a magazine published by the T.L. Osborne Ministry, headquartered out of Tulsa, T.L. and Daisy Osborne. And Brother Osborne became a, a, became a role model to me. And he inculcated into my DNA a love for world missions. I just got back from Zambia in East Africa. I was there three times in the last nine months. A man by the name of David Livingston, over a hundred years ago, helped to plot out a map in Zambia. He named one of the seven wonders of the world, Lake Victoria, uh, the Victoria Falls in Zambia. I took 17 people there uh, a few weeks ago for a big conference that we held in Lusaka. When David Livingston was about my age, his family kept saying, well, why do you keep going back? Get in a rocking chair, enjoy your children, play with your grandkids. And David Livingston said to his family, I looked out over Africa and I saw the campfires of 10,000 villages that had never yet heard the gospel. And he said, that's why I keep going back. And guys, I've been to Africa. When I land there on June the 11th, I'm, I'll be there for eight weeks visiting eight nations because I too, and I'm not near comparing myself with David Livingston, but I've seen the campfires of hundreds and hundreds of villages in Africa, but also in India and Asia and other parts of the world where I've traveled. Central America, South America, from, from, I've preached from Siberia to Australia and most places in between. And I've seen those places where Jesus has not yet penetrated. There's still whole villages that are, that are controlled by Islam. And I say this kindly, but, but I say it sincerely. The Islamic religion is, is not good. There may be good people but it's a damnable religion. And we are the only hope, people like you and I, we're the only hope for these villages that still yet need to be reached. That's what drives me. <laughs> and as long as I've got a message inside me, what I tell pastors around the world that are my age, don't die with the message inside you. And I say this to you and to you young singers, don't you die with that music inside you. Make sure that you touch your generation. Make sure that, that you don't let what you've got die on the inside of you because there's still great areas of this globe that have not yet been penetrated by the genuine, authentic gospel, not watered down Mickey Mouse stuff but I'm talking about a gospel that changes your life, externally, internally. It changes the whole way you live and you belong, un unequivocally you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Could, could you talk about that? Because your, you, your conversion experience when you got saved was, is so powerful and, and all the sacrifices that you had to make in, in making that decision. Can, would you mind sharing? <clears throat> I use a little humor, if you haven't noticed already, because I've learned that when you get people laughing, you open up their, their pores, 
and then you can hit them with the gospel. When I became a Christian, it cost me my mother, my father, my brother, and my sisters. But you see, I also became a, an organ donor March the 27, March the 27, 1957, about 8.30 in the evening in a little converted schoolhouse in Burden, Kansas. I became an organ donor. I gave my heart to Jesus. And I went home that night. Now, I didn't know how to pray the night that I met the Lord. I didn't go to church to meet Jesus. I went to be with this girl, all three of them, Rose, <laughs> Sue, and Gail. And you all, know all three, you know all three of them. One was a redhead, one was a blonde, and one was a brunette. And I fell in love with all three of them, periodically. And you probably did too. The night I knelt at the altar, and I didn't even know what I was doing, guys. I just was there with the girl. The preacher got up and began to preach, and I thought somebody told him I was going to be there. Then when he gave the invitation, he said, I want all the sinners to come to the front. He knew everybody by their first name. He knew I was the only sinner there. But he asked all the sinners to come to the front and repent and get saved. They were playing that real scary music on the piano. <laughs> And all the old ladies were praying and peeking, and they were all looking at me because they knew I was the only sinner there. <laughs> but as I sat there, all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost squeezed my heart. And I didn't go to the altar because I was bad. I went to the altar because I was lost. You see, we don't need God because we're bad. We need God because we're lost. We don't go to heaven because we're good. We go to heaven because we're saved. We don't go to hell because we're bad. We go to hell because we're lost. I pastored churches for, I've just pastored the, my last church. I pastored it 31 years. I know about good sinners and bad sinners, and I know about good Christians and bad Christians. We didn't have a whole lot of sinners come to our church. Most of them were already members. But that night that I prayed, a little lady knelt next to me, and I'm getting, I'm going to answer Phil's question. But I've got so much stuff inside me, it takes a little while to do it. It's good. This lady came and knelt next to me. She says, she said, son, do you know how to pray? And I said, no. And I was crying. And the only time I ever cried was when we lost a basketball game. Now I'm crying. She said, do you know how to pray? And I said, no. And she said, say these words after me. And I said, okay. She said, repeat these words and say, dear God, I'm an old, dirty, filthy, rotten, no good sinner. I looked at her out of the corner of my eye and I thought, how does she know I'm all that stuff? She don't know me. And she's never seen me in her life. She said, go on and pray. That's the only way you're going to get in. I didn't even know what I was getting in. But that <laughs> night, 30 minutes later, God Almighty wrote my name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I became a born again child of God, just like we sang a little while ago. But that prayer cost me my mother, my father, my brother, my sisters. All the way home, back in the car, we sang a brand new song that I learned. It's on page 235 of the Church of God songbook. He set me free. And I didn't comprehend at the moment the depth and meaning of that song that I had been set free. I didn't get saved because I didn't smoke, didn't drink, played basketball. Uh, I, I didn't, you know, beat up dogs or 
The only bad thing I probably did in those first 15 years is every Halloween, some of the guys would walk down the alley and two or three of the families in Ark City had no indoor plumbing. And we'd knock those two-holers over. How many know what a two-holer is? You gotta be 60 years or older to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the two-holers were tough. It was them four-holers, the community ones that we had trouble with. <laughs> That's where you could go and sit and talk to your cousin for a while. <laughs> I went home that night and I told my mother, and I told my mother, because dad was at work, I said, mother, I got saved tonight. No reaction, no response. She just said, hmm. For the next three years until I graduated high school, I had to fight almost every weekend to go to church. I was 15 years old. I, would, I had a job at age, I worked in a grocery store. I'd get out of work, go home, do my chores at the house, kept my grades up, and there was no reason my parents wouldn't, couldn't keep me from going to church because I, I did everything I was supposed to do, but I was ready to go by church time. And when I got saved, back in the day, we had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, usually had a revival that lasted a month, right. and we had those every other month. Yeah. Exactly. We were in church, we didn't have time to sin, we were always in church. <laughs> but it was a rough three years. Before my mother died, she did apologize. She said, son, we didn't treat you right because I had given my life to God. And church, it didn't take me weeks and months to understand. The night I got saved, I didn't understand, but I knew I had had an encounter with divinity. I knew nothing about what it meant to be a Christian, but I will tell you that overnight, my desires changed. And back in the day, <laughs> it, we, had a, we lived a rigid lifestyle. But you know what I learned from that? And Pastor and I have talked about this. What I've learned from that church is that we came to church with one thing in, my, on my, in our mind, and that was to host the presence of the Lord. We came prepared. We came, we came looking like we were expecting a king to be among us. We came prepared to host the presence of God. And, and that's, I, didn't, I don't know how to do it any other way. I don't know how to do it any other way. What, what, was, that, what was that encounter? When, when, you, when you got saved, I mean, because I know you prayed the prayer and you looked at the lady out of the corner of your eye, but where was that moment that you just really encountered? I think after I prayed, after I prayed the prayer, forgive me, I'm an old, dirty, rotten sinner, and I said those very words, but I wasn't really a bad person. I wasn't rotten, but I was lost. And all of a sudden, Pastor there was an awareness that came over me as I was at that little altar in Burden, Kansas. Rex Hanspaugh was the evangelist. Brother Barber was the pastor. All of a sudden, there was an awareness that came over me that I was no longer lost. I, I was, and I didn't get saved because I was afraid or felt insecure. I was, I was rel relatively well known in school and uh, 
But it, did, it wasn't until I heard the gospel and I heard this man preach, the first sermon I ever heard. And you see, I believe that every human being has a destiny. And there comes a moment in your life, somewhere, somehow, some way, you step into that destiny. And that's what happened to me, Pastor Phil. That's what happened to me that night. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for it. Wow. I didn't go expecting it. But there was a divine encounter with God. I didn't get knocked to the ground like Paul did. I wasn't riding in a chariot like Philip was when he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, but I had a life-changing experience. And an inner understanding came to me that I had met God. That was all brand new. I had to learn what that meant. Yeah. You said you went to your high school reunion recently, and they, what'd they say to you about <laughs> when you got saved? When I went to my last high school reunion and I walked in, there were about 30, 40, half of them were dead. <laughs> I couldn't believe that we'd lost so many out of my 1960 graduating class. But when I come walking and everybody said, here comes that preacher. Because everybody in that little Ark City High School, there's 160, 186 of us graduated from our senior year, 1960. Everybody knew that I had gotten saved because I told everybody about it. In fact, the next morning after my conversion, I was in Male Glee Club, 30 of the wickedest boys in high school. And we used, you know, when you're 15, 16, you know, you've only got one vocabulary and it's as filthy as you can get it to be. Four letter words. And I walked in and everybody knew me and I knew everybody else. And our music teacher for the high school was a lady named Miss Ross. One day I made a mistake and called her Mrs. Ross. And she said, I called her Mrs. Ross. She said, Bob, it's not Mrs., it's Miss. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> she said, not as sorry as I am. <laughs> but she was at the piano. I went walking in and I said, Miss Ross, guess what? And the guys got real quiet because they figured here comes a ringer. I said, Jesus is coming back and you're going to go to hell. Chanel, it fell off the piano bench. <laughs> and all the guys kind of laughed. And I said, no, you guys, quiet down. I want to tell you what happened to me last night. And I hadn't even been saved 24 hours yet. And I gave my first public testimony. Now, I didn't know the holy words. I didn't know you're supposed to say thee and thou and hallelujah and praise the Lord. And I didn't know all that stuff. So I just talked to him in the language. Yeah that I had grown up with. That's good. So, but everybody knew that I had had an encounter with God. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and that lasted right through my seat. By the time I was a senior, I was preaching almost every weekend with uh, another person from the Ark City Church. We traveled, drove wow. through those Ozark Mountains in Arkansas and Missouri. And I, was a, I started preaching about six months after I got saved, six, wow. seven months after I got saved. I know now I did more harm to the kingdom than I did good. And I probably need to go back and apologize to a lot of preachers like his dad. But, uh, <laughs> but by the time I was in high school, a senior, I'd been, I was already preaching. Then we went, I married the girl that I lived with 50 years, five months, six days, and 12 hours, Pastor Nicole's mother. 
uh, we travel the world together and yeah. raised six wonderful children. Well, I, uh, yeah. most yeah. of them are wonderful. Yeah. Oh, they're all wonderful. I know. <laughs> A couple of you, you want to shake the... You know what's interesting? When Nicole and I, we had dated, I, I don't know, she didn't, I was real sweet on her, but it wasn't <laughs> reciprocated, I don't think. And, uh, and you guys were in Tulsa. This is before you went to Phoenix, which is why Nicole and I were, mm-hmm. you know, she went with you. And, but I went over there and I was helping you one day pack your RV. You guys were getting ready to go on a trip, go minister somewhere. And I just remembered stepping back, looking at that RV going, this would be the ultimate right here. Had no idea that we would travel for five years <laughs> in 300 square feet with our family. <laughs> and minister around the world, but I, but I remember that. It impacted me so much that I fell in love with Nicole, but I fell in love with the God that I saw in you and in your family and the way you took your family with you. What would you say to someone here that's, that's on fire for God and maybe their family has given them a hard time about it? Either, either their family's like yours, that they were like, yeah, you're you know, you're crazy, you've fallen off the wagon, or they're a family that maybe their parents have been um, saved for a long time, and they're just trying to tame the fire, Mm. maybe to make it last longer. I've never not had the fire, because what I got was so genuine, and so it's it's a little difficult to without sounding mean, but you, you can have whatever you want from God. You don't have to be up and down. You don't have to be an elevator Christian. Man, if you've got it, you've got it. Now, we grow, but you can't, have, you can't get more of God than what you've got. But what you have to learn to do is to grow with what you've got. And I think one thing that has kept the fire with me now, now I baptized my mother one hour before she died. And my mother was not a religious person. Dad had died several years earlier, but my mother was not a religious person under any circumstances. If we would give her a book by Billy Graham, it went into the drawer. If Ona bought her, gave her a Christmas gift, a picture of Jesus, it went in a drawer. And my folks, it it wasn't easy. But I think it's because my mother got jealous of Jesus. Hmm. Because Christ, I I allowed Jesus to dominate my life. And if any of you are here and you feel like you have a call in your life, the reason that I've done what I've been able to do, by the grace of God, of course, but when I got saved, I gave God an eternal yes. And I've never said no. God said, go to Africa. I go to, God said, go to India, go to Russia, go to Australia, go, go to Asia. I live with an eternal yes. And the reason I travel in America, the reason I travel is not because I'm here to tell you something that he cannot tell you. I'm very transparent. The reason I'm here is because I need your money to help me buy Bibles, to take to pastors who could never get the kind of a Bible that 
we're able to take to them with, with Bible study. You see, I'm burdened for pastors. I'm burdened for noble men and women of God who have been, who have been neglected and overlooked by big major ministries. And so when I travel to these areas, I have to raise my funds. I raise money. I'm not a wealthy man. I'm not poor. In fact, I'm pretty wealthy. I've got so much money, other people carry it around for me. But I've seen those fires in those villages. And I, I, can I tell the story? Yes. The second time I was in, I've been to Nigeria, I don't know how many, how many times. And I'm going back in November. They've got, I'm, they, they've got a crusade. They've estimated 70,000 people will be there. And they've asked me to come and be the evening speaker. And I've been to Nigeria many times. The second visit to Nigeria, I had, I had ordained a lot of pastors. And then we went for a bab water baptismal service way back in the bush, in the jungle area. <laughs> as we get, I had about 30 people to baptize. And as we were getting ready to go into the river, two men broke some branches off of a tree, and they were down slapping the water. And I said to my pastor friend, I said, is this some pagan ceremony? I don't want anything to do with it. He said, no, they're scaring the snakes away. <laughs> So I baptized those people. Now we're driving back home, and I'm in this little car with six people, three people in the front and three people in the back. In America, we'd put two in the front and two in the back. It was about that size of a car. And there was a little man in the back that just was wailing, and, and I didn't know if he was speaking in tongues or some Nigerian dialect. And finally, I, I turned to my host pastor, and I said, Pastor Mike, what is with this little man? And Pastor Alillo said to me, because I had ordained, he was one of the men I ordained earlier today, earlier in the day. And he said, oh, he's just rejoicing. He's been a pastor for 40 years in the bush, but he had never been ordained. And then in Nigeria, you cannot baptize people, dedicate babies, marry or bury without an official ordination. And he said, because we laid hands on him and ordained him earlier in the day, now he can go back to his church in the village and bury. He doesn't have to invite an ordained pastor. He can dedicate babies. He can marry his young couples. He can serve them. And what he was saying, he said, I can't wait to get home. He said, I'm going to call the people together and serve them communion. Mm. And to know that I had just a little tiny part of enabling that man to receive affirmation about his ministry. And part of what my assignment is, is to travel the nations and give affirmation to those noble men and women who have lived in the shadows and in the corners of the kingdom, doing a noble work, but had been overlooked or neglected or didn't qualify academically or didn't qualify professionally to be uh, an elite ordained pastor. And I've taken hundreds of Bibles. I've spent thousands of dollars because I don't take little $1 paperback Bibles. I take leather bound, good study Bibles for those men because you know what they do with it? They'll pass it and share it with other pastors until they can get their own. And that's what drives me, wow. Pastor Phil. How, how, many, how many pastors would you say that you've ordained? Or uh, young ministers? Well, 
Four weeks ago in Zambia, I ordained 76 pastors. We had 350 in our conference. They brought delegations from 10 different nations. And uh, I ordained 76 pastors and gave out 76 Bibles. It took me the whole month of March of last year to raise enough money to do what we did for that conference because we had to rent buses and, and pay for the food. I mean, it was a big, big challenge. And I didn't invite the popular well-known pastors in the area where we were. I told our team on the ground in Zambia, I said, you go find men, you go find men and women that need affirmation. But right now we've got over in our fellowship, Living Water International, we have, uh, we have I've ordained over 2,000 pastors, uh, in, in mainly in India and, and Africa. Uh, it's just been an it's just been an amazing thing, and we do it. It's a it's a work of grace. There's no money that one pastor in Ghana. One pastor said, "Now we can we'll split. We'll charge X amount of dollars in their money, and you get fifty percent, and I get fifty percent." I said, "I said you got the wrong preacher, boy." I said, "We don't do that. I don't do that." This trip that I'm getting ready to go for eight weeks, I saved my own personal money. My tickets are already are paid for. Yeah. Airplane tickets are paid for. Yeah. And the reason I'm staying for eight weeks is it's cheaper to, to go one way and then travel in country and then fly back home than to go and come and get round trips every for two weeks or then go home and then yeah. fly back. It's cheaper to do what I'm doing, but it's still expensive. But right now, my heart, my heart is to get Bibles. That's our tool. That's our instrument of war is the Word of God. Remember, it's a two-edged sword sharper. And if we don't win India, if we don't win Africa, uh, and I shouldn't say we, if because we will, but there's a battle going on there now. China, China is trying to dominate Africa. And the pastors that I talked to the, are, are worried because they said America is not holding a standard like we've done with past yeah. administrations. Yeah. The current administration is doing nothing over there to try to stop what's going on. And China and Islam is, is, is invading. Interesting, interesting thing in Africa. Um, there's, there's a group of it's under the radar, but they're American insurgents that are, that it's very small groups, but they're positioned all throughout Africa. And what they're doing is they're chasing the Chinese out that are trying to come in and take over. And so they're staying on the ground down there. Nobody knows it. A friend of mine found out about it, it was on a mission trip and, mm, and they invited great. him yeah. into their, into their deal. Um, so you were married 50 years, right? Pardon? You were married 50 years? How many altogether? <laughs> yeah, I know it was over 50. My wife was 16 and I was 19 when we got married. Do not, I, we do not recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> what? But we, it lasted 50 years, five months, six days, and 12 hours. And when we got married, the, her uncle married us. And my wife was raised Pentecostal. From, from my wife's side of the family, our grandchildren are fifth generation Pentecostal. Son, don't you ever, don't you ever surrender what you've been taught. 
you stand, you, you've got a DNA in you from your, from your grand, grandma and grandpa Johnson, and you've got DNA in you from grandma and grandpa Bartlett. And your mom and dad have pumped it into you too. It flows in your veins and don't you dare, don't ever give it up. Mm. And don't you die, you're a young man, but don't you die with that music inside you. You make sure that you raise up, even in your young years, you raise up. And I say this by the word of the Lord, because you're bigger than this church. The music that's inside you is bigger than Vision Church because God's gonna open nations to you. And your sound will be heard around the world, but don't you die with that music inside you. And you elders and you grandparents, don't you die with your knowledge of God inside you. Make sure you have communicated that to the next generation. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So when... Well, I was gonna tell you when we got married, one reason we had a successful marriage is because when the, when the pastor said, do you take this woman to be your legally wedded wife? She said, he does. <laughs> and we had a very successful marriage. <laughs> Sounds like her. <laughs> One couple I heard about when the preacher said to the man, will you honor, love, cherish, and obey? He said, I'll try. <laughs> go ahead. How'd that go? How'd that work out? That's terrible. <laughs> No, so, so she passed away and she went home to be with the Lord in, two, in 2011. 11. She died instantly, totally unprepared. Yeah. We were talking just like this, got up to go to bed. She yeah. took a deep breath and the doctor said later she was gone by the time she hit the floor. Well, and so, so now, so then you were, you know, yourself and you're a good looking guy. I mean, you, it's not like you didn't have opportunity or you had some women. I said there was more that you were supposed to say about that. I gave you a list. Oh, well, yeah, you were, I mean, tall, dark, <laughs> and handsome, old, and old, ruggishly handsome. <laughs> um, no, but what I wanted to know is how did you, um, you know, for widows, I've seen some widows when the spouse dies, they just, it's like, you know, some are gone very shortly after, or they lose hope, or, you know, how did you rally to pull yourself when we married, she wanted to marry a preacher. I needed to marry a girl that wanted to marry a preacher. And she had to be able to sing. I was a young evangelist. She had to be able to sing, play the piano, have long hair, wore dresses, and no lipstick. That's what we did back in the day. And she fit the bill. She had long hair, could play the piano and sing, and was beautiful besides that. Plus, her dad had, had a lot of money. He did. He did. Yeah. He did. He was a builder. He built homes. He was like my friend here that forgot to wear his necktie this morning. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to send you a necktie. Uh, I love this couple right here. Uh, but Ona, my wife, never said no when I said, honey, God just spoke to me. I'm to go here there. She basically, in the early years when our babies were growing up, we have six children. We have three expected and three selected. So we have three adopted children. From our oldest daughter, we brought her home from the hospital. And then my twins, who are now 30 years old, we got them when they were two years old. Long story. But anytime I had to go, my wife never stood 
and, and said no. Because she knew that she married a preacher that had said yes to God. And that's why we had a good marriage. Now, now, we loved each other every day of our married life. We didn't always like each other. Get ready. We didn't always like each other every day, but we loved each other every day. And I say that with a little bit of humor, but about a nugget of truth in that. But here's it. Pastor Phil asked me how I adjusted to widowhood. It's very lonely. And don't, and it's lonely. Uh, but I, my children are all grown. They're all doing good, doing very well. My responsibilities are now just to me and my little puppy dog. And I never slowed down, guys. Ona died in October of 2011. I was in a fog for about 30 days. Because it wasn't, you know, it's one thing to live with someone for months that you knew was dying or to have someone get up and say goodnight and fall over and be gone with no prior warning whatsoever. Yeah. In January of the next year, she, she, went, she was received into heaven. And this man taught me something. When I said the Lord, you know, the Lord took my wife and he said, no, he didn't. And I've never forgotten what you said, Phil. Pastor Phil said to me, no, the Lord didn't take her. The Lord received her into heaven. And I say that now, anytime the subject comes up, he received, when we die, he didn't take us, he received us. That opens a real understanding. I went to Israel in January of the next year, 2012. I'd already been there 14 times because I hosted tours. But I went by myself and uh, Ona worked for an airline. Ona worked for an airline, so I went on her pass. For a hundred bucks, I could upgrade to first class. And I just happened to have a hundred dollars to <laughs> upgrade to first class. I spent 10 days in Jerusalem, just by myself, walking the streets of the old city, going to all the sacred places, if you've never been to Israel, don't die before you go. It, you need to go there at least one time in your life. Yeah. But while I was there, the Lord gave me a peace. And he said, now you have been released. Travel as long as you can. Because the minute you quit traveling and you sit down, metaphorically speaking, the minute you sit down, you won't get back up. And so when I was over there, I prayed Hezekiah's prayer. And I said, Lord, give me 15 more years. And I've not slowed down since January of 2012. Now, all during our married life, I came and went and went, went all over the world. But now, you haven't. You now haven't slowed down. I haven't slowed down. The only reason I'm here, the only reason I'm in America now, can I be transparent with you? I've already told you why I'm here. I'm here because I need you to help get the word of God to people who don't. Who, who, and I get 30, I can buy a $30 Bible for $18 through this publishing house that I work with. And then I've written my own books. I sold them all at my last crusade in the state of Delaware. Uh, 
I've written four books. I pay for them as I get them, and then I take them and give them out. Uh, give them along with the Bibles. I learned that from T.L. Osborne. Yeah. Uh, I can't. I sell them in America, but and I take that money. Do you know I've learned for every I, my books sell for ten dollars a piece, and they're just they're just normal books. But for ten dollars, I can buy enough rice or beans for one month to feed a family in Africa or India. Ten bucks for a bag of rice or, or, or a bag of beans for a, a, a normal family over in Africa. And so I, I sell these books for $10 a piece. And then my prayer is that I'm able to raise enough money to buy Bibles. And I usually take them 100 at a time. And 100 Bibles, the ones that I take cost me $1,800. And the publishing house sends them to me. They pay the postage. And then I take them with me overseas, and I distribute them to these pastors when we ordain them. But now, as Pastor Phil said, I'm able to go. I'm not encumbered. I've got excellent neighbors that take care of my little dog. And the reason I even keep him is so when I do go home, there's something alive yeah. in my condominium. Yeah. And guys, I'm not going to slow down. I need surgery in a couple of my, in my knees. But that's going to take me down for two or three months, getting back up to be able to go. And at age 80, I don't have three, three more months. I've got, to, I've got to take advantage of every moment that I have because there's one more pastor out there that I've got to reach. There's, there's one more nation that I've got to go to. And it's a fire that's in my bones. Yeah, love it. It's, it's just Ab there, Pastor Phil. Absolutely love it. So one last thing, one that I wanted to ask, and then I, I want you to pray for people um, this morning. But, you know, we talked about, last night, we talked about the presence of God. And one thing that we've been after as a church has been pressing in with everything we have and, and creating space in, in, in spiritually for him to come and move. That's why we don't, we don't, I, we, I, you know, I never tell the worship team, hey, you got 13 minutes and, right. you know, any of that. I mean, I just, I, because we really want the Spirit of God to fill the room. And I've watched that in you. I know you've had those moments. And what can we do as a church, as a church family, to cultivate the presence of God and, and to open the door wide to the Holy Spirit? to come and do what he wants to do. The personality of a church is molded by the leadership of that church. And if the leadership comes prepared to host the presence of the Lord, the greater the hosting is, the larger the capacity is to receive the praise. And I thought when I went to bed last night after our conversation, I thought, God, how am I going to answer that question? And the Lord said, you were taught as a young person to host the presence of the Lord. And we were taught your praise becomes the sanctuary that the Lord inhabits because he inhabits our praises. The greater the praise, the larger the sanctuary the larger the sanctuary, 
the greater the praise is able to come down because our praise becomes a highway for the presence of the Lord to settle down upon us. And guys, don't be afraid to do something you've never done before. We were always taught as a boy growing up in, in a spirit-filled Pentecostal church. And I use that word Pentecostal. I'm not ashamed <laughs> that that's what I am. But we were taught that, that praise becomes the highway. God dwells in the praises of his people. If there's no praise, there's no place for him to dwell. So I believe that above every congregation, there is the capacity for you to open up and praise opens up doors in heaven. But from my vantage point, the praise team, the leadership, we host the presence of God. I felt it when I walked in here at nine o'clock this morning. Pastor Zach, is he called pastor yet? Can we call him pastor? right on the edge. I know we are. One of these days, Grandpa's going to lay hands on you. But it was nine o'clock. He and that drummer boy that had his hat on backwards. But the presence of God was flowing through. <laughs> I felt God as I walked down this aisle. Wow. And they were hosting the presence of the Lord. So we really wasn't a whole lot of stuff some of you had to do to bring the presence of God in. You walked into it. And depending on how hungry you are for God will depend on what you get for what's happening when they're hosting. But come with an attitude. Come with a mind made up that I'm coming after God. And be thankful that you've got people that understand Phil, Pastor Phil and Pastor Nicole grew up in that kind of an atmosphere. They don't know how to do it any other way. And what they're teaching you and what they're leading you into and what their children are leading you into is as authentic and genuine as it gets. But you have to be hungry for it. Yeah. And I never have not been because I didn't know you couldn't not be hungry. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, I love that. I love you, you just, years ago, who wrote the book, A God, who wrote The God Chaser? Oh, yeah, Tommy Tenney. Tom, Tommy Tenney. I, he had a great daddy. Tommy had a great father, T.F. Tenney. He was a great church leader. But I read that book, The, the God Chaser. I think there was a follow-up called The God Catcher. But chase God, press in. Because I promise you, you'll catch him or he'll catch you. And when you experience that, dear God, you'll never want anything else. And you'll want this great presence of God. And just be thankful that you've got leaders. You've got worshipers. Em emulate them. Do, do what you've never done before. Maybe you're quiet and a bit shy. I worked in a grocery store when I got saved. And, you know, the little church I got saved in was a noisy church. I mean, they shouted and danced and run and jumped. And this was all new to me. So when I went to work after I'd been saved a few weeks, I thought, man, I got to get into this. So I went into the freezer where we kept the produce and closed the door and sh I would shout, 
So I get accustomed. Then when I'd go to church, I didn't feel out of place. Go in your home. Go go to your bathroom and shout hallelujah as loud as you can. And you'll get used to it. I, I remember I was in Tulsa and I was dating this cute little Baptist girl long before I ever met Nicole. And I, and she wanted she invited me to church. So I went there on a Wednesday night and it was a large auditorium and we were sitting pretty far back. But they started singing this song during the offering. And this little, this sweet little lady um, who was probably, anyway, she was, an old, she was an elderly woman. She stood up and she put her little, she was holding her bag and she put her little hand in the air. And I looked at her because it was like she was drawing the presence of God just to her, just by herself. And, and the girl that I was there with, she elbowed me and she said, yeah, she's like one of the fanatics in the church. And I was like, I mean, that's a fanatic, you know. <laughs> you know, but God, but she was drawing. I could totally see that in her. So you're, because the Bible says when we honor him, then he will honor us. And so we honor him by what I'm hearing you say is participating and lifting our praise because we're giving him the opportunity to inhabit. Our, that is so good. Don't come to be a spectator come to be a participator yeah and this man right here his dad's name was Forrest Miller and that generation of Pentecostals they were basically the second generation we would be considered the third generation your mom and dad would be second generation I saw something in those people and I didn't I was as dumb as a box of rocks when it came to God. But as a 15-year-old boy, I fell in love with God. And I saw men like his father and his mother and his missionary uncle and others. There was something so different about those people that I wanted what they had. And God gave it to me. And thank God I've never lost it. No matter how, how my family treated me and now we're, we're all okay now but there were years that we didn't go back home uh, we would be unwelcome they would say oh Bob and Ona's coming we can't get the kegs out <laughs> you know what I'm talking about oh yeah been there so uh, but I never lost it guys and you you can't lose it if you've got it yeah that's good but just in your personal life, become a host for the presence of God in your life. Watch these pastors, watch your leaders, watch how they worship. And it's not wrong to emulate them. It's not wrong to worship like they worship because they're watching out for your souls. But individually, you can host God's presence. Just be prepared for it. He's a king. Be prepared to host the presence of the King.